Jeffrey. I'm using your full name, so you know that this is serious. This is real. Full name. This is real. My home builder tried to murder me and my family in our sleep. That's no good. It is no bueno. And walk us through what happened here. So you built a house like what a year ago almost now? Built a house a year ago. So we had our 12 month or 11 month inspection. Getting our, all of our last to do an inspection. A, a little, uh, although wrapping up before a one year warranty, doing all that stuff. Okay? Mm-hmm. We building our, our inspector goes up into our attic to check the venting, check the water heater, check the insulation, all that good stuff. And he immediately says, you need to call your builder's emergency number right away. And we're like, well, what, what's wrong? And he said, well, you don't have a vent for your water heater. I'm like, well, what do you mean there's no vent for the water heater? He said, well, there's a pipe coming out of the top of your water heater into your attic, and then it is not going anywhere. So, so I'm like... Explain what that means to me like I'm five. So CO2 is bad. That's why you have CO2 detectors in your house. If you leave your gas stove on overnight leaking, you're not going to wake up in the morning, right? Right, right. My water heater is gas. It has it needs to exhaust all of what it's burning. And that exhaust should go in through a pipe through the top of my roof. But apparently the roofers never cut the roofers never installed the vent. So when the people came to install the water heater, they got the pipe up and said, Oh, well shoot, the roofers never put this there. So they just left the pipe. They didn't call the roofers and say, Hey, you guys forgot to do this. We need a hole so we can put this up. And so now I have had conversations with my builder, with the original inspector, because I'm like, bro, how the hell did you miss this? And in your report, it says that you inspected the water heater and all venting systems. But in your picture that you included in that report, the pipe is clearly not there. Hmm. So what is that? Uh, the inspector that did the inspection, he is TikTok famous. So he posted this on TikTok and... It, I just looked. It's up to like 250,000 views or something. Great. Um, the local news had reached out to the inspector to do a story about problems that he's seen with builders and new builds and corners that they've been cutting. So that has uh, is also, so my house may also be on the local news. I reached out to my town council and said, who the hell gave a certificate of occupancy for this? Because uh, you could have blown up the whole daggum neighborhood. And now the, the we... We had a discussion about this, and I don't mean to interrupt you because I know that you're in the middle of all of the people that you reached out. But but when you say you reached out to the town council, that sets off a lot of like Karen alarms in my head. Now, so we, we, dis- exact- we discussed this, right? Are you a Karen or are you not in this situation? No, I don't think I'm not so. A Karen. No, because there is this is a negligence that could affect my long term health. So my. Yeah, this is death. It, it, it could have. It's yes. I mean, the because I have a large attic, and there are other vents feels in the like, roof. Feels like a humble brag a little bit. There, it, it, it's well, it's just because it's a house in Arizona. You're so a there's man of, you're a there. man of means. I understand. Uh, and so because there is there's enough space that it's like, hey, it's you know probably it's dissipating fine. But like my neighbor, my next door neighbor, he's like forty, healthy guy. He had a he had a stroke in December. And he has had chronic like migraines and nausea since he moved into his house in wow. April. Same and builder. He same builder. He works in his garage right next to his water heater that is not properly vented. 
and he travels a lot for work. He's a sales guy. So he's traveling like once every couple of weeks, he goes away as soon as, as long as he goes away for two days, most of his symptoms go away. But then as he comes back after he's home for a couple of days back working, then he starts to see the symptoms again. So they had thought even their doctor was like, are you sure that you don't have a gas leak somewhere in your house? And so they had an inspector come today after I texted them and he goes up in the roof and he can't even see where the vent is because there's a random wall that like a sheet of OSB that was installed in the attic blocking off. So you can't even see from the other side. And so they are also, so it is, this is a big conundrum, but if you are listening this to this and you are an employee of Madame Homes, here it comes. No, that I am coming for you. Oh no. And like all coach prime GEHB army will be coming for you. There are we dozens. are enlisting all of dozens of us. There are dozens. All of, of the us. hellions will be out in force. This is a threat. All of the the attorneys and CPAs we can muster. We have so many. We have oodles. There, are, there are so many of us. So many of us. That's about all we have. But yeah, we don't have much. That's who we need when we need them. But they. So yeah, it, that is like I'm trying to get that all figured out and. So I'm kind of like, well, I want to know who, yeah, who was the inspector from the city that apparently did not get up there yeah. and actually inspect my house. And now, so now we're here. That has been the last couple of days. And Clearly I just, a problem. So not, it is not full Karen because being well, a Karen is one, like being a Karen would be if I was like, there were a couple spots of paint that got messed up. Like you got some paint on the baseboards and I'm demanding that you repaint my whole house. Well, that would be Karen. Let's let's this talk is a life about or death thing. I don't think so. I think the Karen, Karen has evolved over the last few years, especially with the rise of TikTok that is like making it easy to show Karens. And I don't think that Karen herself was always bad. I mean, always the crazy Karens, but I think that Karen, in a like at its core was was it, it, she started as like justified causes you know like sometimes you need to get the manager so i think you have gone full karen but occasionally karen is justified i think that's the but that's what it, by the time the term karen came into common nomen like common yeah, culture yeah, yeah. Uh, the parlance the by the time karen became a household name that that was because Karen was known for freaking out when it was not warranted. So the whole def like the idea of a Karen is well, that it's like you're freaking out and making much ado about nothing, or you're extremely overreacting. I'm not yeah. overreacting. I'm not saying that, you know, I want you to pay my house off and I'm going to sue you for a million dollars. Although maybe I should something. But. I watched it. I watched that Keenan and I watched the Keenan and Kel episode. Do you remember? Dude. You watched Keenan and Kel. Oh, of course. With do you Coolio the, RIP on the intro. Yeah. Do you remember the episode where Keenan swallows the screw? Soda? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you get it. Keenan swallows. Keenan swallows the screw. He's eating tuna. He swallows oh, the screw. Yes. And then Kel has to admit that he was the one who dropped the screw in the tuna. Yes. I feel like that's where we're at. Like, had that screw not been, like, Kel's fault, Keenan was totally justified to sue the tuna company for $10 million because of all of the emotional trauma that he had. And now he's afraid of tuna fish and cans. So, like, I'm on board. 
But then once Kel admitted it was him, then obviously, so, you know, if you find out that like, hey, you know, Baker got up into the attic and ripped all the pipes down, then sure. Yeah. Dude, he climbed everywhere. That honestly would not surprise me. He would find a way. There's been sports news this week, Garrett. Not to, uh, not to say that your house isn't important. It's the most important thing of the week. Hmm. But there has been some sports news this week, and it's the offseason, folks. This is a BYU show. It always has been, and it always will be. We have a new audience. I think I think we can talk about that. There's a new branch of Give Em Hell Brigham's audience on YouTube now. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, please do. If you're checking us out on YouTube, look what I'm about to do, Garrett. Subscribe and hit the bell. Hit like and subscribe and hit the wait. Which way am I supposed to point? Well, I think I think we get to decide. Oh. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's Smash a new audience. That like button. So if you haven't heard us before, yeah, this has always been a BYU show, but we're we're kind of like a we're we're a BYU adjacent show. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about BYU the most. But we are a BYU. We're not a BYU show. We are a BYU fans. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. If you are a fan, you talk about more things than just BYU. Right. Your homies. Right. With the guys. Especially. one the one lady that we have. We do have a lady. Yep. And. Especially when it's the off season. Yeah. I mean, you're like, you want the news, but you can't, like, we're not, everyone is itching for spring ball updates, but we're not here to give you, like, an hour trying to stretch out talking about some kids huddle for 25 minutes. No, we're not going to do that. My favorite thing of the off season is fans. We're all so desperate. We want news so bad that it's like somebody from a school that has played BYU before hits the transfer portal. And within minutes, it's like, Hey, is BYU interested in this kid? I have no idea. Like how, how has any, how's anybody going to know? It's only been like five minutes. Like, I don't know. We're not on a group text with the coaches that we like know, like, hey, so-and-so hit the portal. It's not how this works. But that's how desperate we all get in January, February, March when we want the news. So BYU and then BYU sort of news and then really just stuff that we're going to talk about. QB sneaks is something that I want to talk about today. Oh, yes. As, As a fan of the Canadian Football League. There you go. I'm all about the QB sneak. Well, and as a fan of Brigham Young University... It feels like this is data we need to get into the hands of Aaron Roderick. Because yeah. the NFL, QB sneaks, according to the New York Times, which, I don't know, I guess until COVID, I guess really until one President Trump was considered, like un- unanimously considered a reputable uh, news outlet. But now I guess that's a coin flip. I don't know if you believe in the New York Times or not. But the New York Times reports that 275%. That is the increase. 275% more quarterback sneaks in the NFL this year. That is almost quadrupling. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of quarterback sneaks. And, and and ask yourself the very simple question. Why are NFL teams running quarterback sneaks more frequently? Because the shortest distance between two points is a straight <laughs> line. And if you don't avoid running backwards to hand the ball off to someone and then have that guy having to run forwards to make right. up ground, it makes it easier, especially if it's like and one. And it's weird because like one of the things that Tom Brady, right, is known for right. is like the hurry up third and one where you knew if he was just short of the sticks on second down, he was going to run up, do a quick snap as soon as the ref got off the ball and go for a QB sneak. And yeah. it's like, why does not everybody do this? It, and in Canada, the reason I brought so up in the CFL stop. is because in Canada, 
where you only have three downs, a lot of times like on like third and one, it's weird. They'll bring in their backup quarterback and because some, at some point in time in like the pile, some starting quarterback got hurt on a QB mm. sneak. And so now every team is like worried about it. And so it's like they always do it. But it's like the QB will come in and they're the, you're, the defensive line has to line up a yard off the ball. So it's oh. even more so yeah. that it's like if it's third and one, like you you bring them in. It's like it's OK. You know, there's going to be a QB sneak. And it's like, oh, yeah, I could just like give them the first down. It's like it almost should be like in golf when you're not playing real serious. Yeah, it's a gimme. Like, you just pick it just, up. It's a gimme putt. Right. And it just pick it up. And so it, the QB sneak should be more, especially I mean, like, I guess especially we kind of saw this with that stupid scrum package. Right. But yeah, like, but even that, shoot, like, put give me, give me some give me some John Nelson and Caden Hawes behind Keaton Slovis next year. Push that fullback and push that pile. Now, like, give me the strongest dudes in the weight room. Like, right. go push that pile, get a yard and a half, trot off the field. There is a fatal flaw to the quarterback sneak. I wasn't aware of this flaw until Sunday, hmm. but there is a fatal flaw. And one Tyler Huntley helped us discover that flaw when he tried Going to take his quarterback this, though, sneak. That's not sneaky. You're, no, you're not hiding no. it. You're, that, that was not sneaky. No, that was like laying reason, it all out in the open. There's a reason it's the quarterback sneak and not the quarterback hurdle, right? Yes. I mean, and 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 really, uh, who was it that Matt Carlino tried to dunk on all those years ago that like he took off from like the free throw line and it was like, bro, you're never going to make this dunk. And he didn't even come close. Or That's, do you remember uh, Taysom? It was like 2013. Against Boise State, he like hurdled. Yeah, and he was like five yards away, and the dude just like clipped him in the feet, and he fell yeah. down. Yeah, so it gave me a really like similar vibes because even had that Cincinnati Bengals defender not knocked out the ball of Tyler Huntley on his quarterback sneak hurdle, like the dude wasn't even close to the end zone. Like that was one of those. Uh, it was Max. Was and afterwards, he was like, he was trying to say, like, "Oh, I got oh, it." Oh yeah, got it. No, no, and then the replay from over the top. It's like, dude, he was like a full yard and a half short. I think it was Max Tooley, wasn't it? He had an interception one year, and and he went in. He wanted the pick six, and so he dove from like the seven yard line trying to run it back, but he was knocked out at like the four. But like, man, he stretched. He tried. <laughs> that's that's what. T- so that's the only flaw. Other than that, the quarterback sneak works nearly 100% of the time. The thing is, when was the last time there, I cannot, the last 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown that I remember um, is Kaylin Clay, Kaylin Clay dropping it at the goal line in 20-whatever year that was. I'm sure there's others, but that's, but that's the one I mean, that pops to head, that pops into my mind. I, yeah. I watch an obscene amount of football. Like I'm, I'm gearing up, doing my roster prep, getting ready to know who I need to follow in the USFL and the XFL coming up. Like that's, yeah, the, that's yikes. And I cannot recall seeing a 100 yard, a, a 100 yard it's thing. It's been a while. Yeah, t- but Tyler Huntley, 98 yard fumble, really cost the Ravens the game. So I mean, that yeah, was when you lose by a touchdown a, and you fumbled so, it at the at the one yard line. So yeah, I mean that's a fourteen point swing for you math wizards there. Instead yes. of scoring seven, you gave up seven. Um so there's that. Two hundred seventy five percent. BYU really struggled in those short yardage situations this year. Play calling got weird. Like got really weird, trying to get really creative. People say too cute. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I just felt like BYU was Nothing. grasping at straws trying to find the answer. Nothing and they refused A-Rod to just quarterback was speak. ever like too cute. I never, I never bought that because it's like the things that we did. It's like yeah, he passed the ball, but it's like it was but he nothing. Always that was, does. 
Right. It was nothing that was outside the norm of right. the system. And like, you got to be able to be confident and passable. And it's not like your guys are, were like completing 50% of your passes is good now, right? Like it's, you know, if your quarterback's completing 65, 70% of his passes, a little dump off, that should be easy, right? Should be that's plenty, not even right. accounting for the deep balls and the throwaways, right? right. So that's no, even I, a higher conversion percent. So it's, I, yeah, I don't get that. I, but. I agree with that. I don't think it was too cute if it's if it's within the construct of the offense. And it was. It was within the construct of the offense. I think he needs to evolve and add a quarterback sneak wrinkle into that offense next year uh, with Keaton Slovis especially. So I think he will. So moving on to Zach, the Wilson family. Zach Wilson. So the Jets fired Mike LaFleur. They Which is probably the right call. I mean, Zach like, and Milf Zach wasn't not, Zach and Milf did not go together well. No, Zach Zach wasn't great either. Like, let's be clear no. about that. To any BYU fan, like we're we're, we're treading dangerously. Zach is the new, he's he's the new Jimmer. He's the new Jimmer. He just needs time. He just we're, needs his minutes. We're we're, we're can't develop on the bench. We're headed in the wrong direction with our fandom for Zach. Like we've got to. He's got to take some accountability that he sucked. Now there might be reasons why he sucked. And those are perfectly valid, but like the dude also sucks. So let's let's call a spade a spade. Um, Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett is like the man responsible for ruining Russ. Uh, what is it, Mister Unlimited? Russell Wilson was Russ terrible Wilson. in Denver, and maybe he's just terrible. But, but then Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hackett, was, Hackett was also like good in Green Bay. So it's like, I now, was he good in Green Bay or? Was Aaron I mean, Rodgers good in Green Bay? That's true. So, like, it's hard to know. Anyway, Nathaniel Hackett interviews for a job with the Jets to replace Mike LaFleur. I, I don't know that that's an improvement for uh, for, for a brother Wilson. That feels like, yeah. feels like you're just like, here, instead of this turd, have this turd. And you're like, oh, well, it's a different shape, but, like, it's still a turd. Some struggle. Yeah. Well, and it's also weird because isn't uh, Green Bay's? Yeah, it's like he was coaching for um, for Matt Lafleur. Yeah, he was coaching for Matt Lafleur, and then they just fired Mike Lafleur. Yeah, it's and they on a web. It's a lot of weird. The NFL's it's just, like that. It though. just the seems NFL, like it's so like unoriginal. Like go the, out and do something else. Well, I mean that's the other thing too, right? Like the Jets have also interviewed. Uh, you know, long time BYU like folklore Daryl Bevel. And it's like Bevel's been an offensive coordinator five different times. Like, can is there not anybody better than Daryl Bevel? Like, I get it, but whatever. I don't know. Maybe there's not. Uh, at the risk of of further upsetting the Wilson clan, because remember, Garrett, the last time we really talked about Zach and the Wilsons. We got a letter from his attorney telling us we had to stop selling Zach Wilson shirts. Other than other than Zaxby, yes, other than our Zaxby. Oh, that's true. That we did have Zaxby, uh, but we're going to talk about the Wilsons, and we're not going to talk about Zach. And, and here's the here's the headline. Okay, so background: Isaac Wilson, four star quarterback, Zach's little brother. He's the fourth son of the four Wilson boys. The other three, Zach, obviously Zach. Josh and Michael, or Michael, Micah, playing linebacker at BYU right now. And Isaac, BYU would love to have him. Mm-hmm. Isaac is being recruited by anybody, everybody. And Utah 
which famously the Zach Wilson, blah, blah, blah. If you don't know it, nothing I can say about the Zach Wilson and Utah story today is going to like help you know it. You should know it by now. Isaac Wilson took a visit to Utah. They've actually offered the youngest Wilson and they're making up for their, their, their wrongdoings of the past. Isaac goes on a visit. He takes his mom with him, presumably his dad and maybe some other family members were there. But in this picture, it's Isaac Wilson and his mom, Lisa. And that's all you need to know. That is like, first and foremost, that's not uncommon. That's a very common thing. Look at, other than Paul Miley, who committed to BYU this week, look at any of the most recent commits or official visitors who came to BYU. The pictures that they put out on social media generally include the family members who were there with them, like more often than not. So not weird for Lisa to be in this picture with Isaac whatsoever. But like the internet does, the internet went awry. And and here's my, I have a couple of problems. Before we get into the details of the problems, we made national news. We being the holy war, BYU internet, Utah, Twitter, rivalry Twitter, Made national news. I'm going to cite this article by OutKick. You know, believe what you want yeah. about OutKick. I don't, yeah. I Out- so it was the response is it's interesting because we've said this before like, don't tweet stupid stuff about players, right? And recruits because right. their families are going to see it. And you as a fan are like the face of your thing. So, I mean, we don't have to read all of these, but we this don't need article, to. Our, the picture was posted by lisa or somebody you know posted it and if you go there are a crap ton load of rose emojis in the replies because with all these utah fans you know the first we don't want him we don't want him like this is stupid like the very first one do you recognize the first one in this article the the lifting ute la underscore utes uh no that's the guy who came after me for the whole logan fano thing that i told him uh, but it's okay. Don't be ashamed of yourself. That's your parents' job. That's the same guy. Oh, so, so, so we've got course. we've got like the celebrities of of bad Utah Twitter accounts here. Yeah, and it's just like all of them. It's just like going in like we don't want him. Like we don't want them on. Like we don't need that crap in our locker room. BYU can keep it. And like yes, I will keep it. Thank you. And then of course we had the uh, Cougar War Logic account on there because someone said something stupid. But the and it was yes, stupid. It, I think we need to call that out. Yeah, it was, was it poor choice unless he wants to distance himself from BYU slash the church. Stop being more Dr. Mo BYU. Dr. Mo BYU, if you listen to our show, unsubscribe and stop listening. We don't want listeners like you. We don't want listeners like you. Just shut up. And guess what? The Wilsons, they're not even active. Like they're not an active LDS family. It's not like Zach has, it's not like they have ever tried to say that they are Peter Priesthood and, you know, go to church every week and pay 12% tithing. And it's like, they do their own thing. Like they're fine people. Not like whatever. It's like, what does it matter? It does not matter. Even if they were going to church every day and they were, you know, almost the prophet, like there's still plenty of active Mormons that go to Utah. This is the kind of stuff that is awful. Right. So, so don't be an idiot on online. Just don't be an idiot online. And actually our next bullet point on, 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 on our, our new agenda. segment. We're trying segments because we are Dusty Litster with two T's. Yep. It's better. Uh, it's better for the YouTube, really. It's better for the YouTube that there are but the actual next, segments. The next news article that we have here was is uh 24-7 sports. There was some study done out of Michigan, and apparently BYU received an honorable mention 
of the most arrogant schools in the country, along with schools like Michigan and Alabama, like the who's who of college football and then BYU. So kind of ironic and kind of funny, but also comments like, uh, comments like, unless you're trying to separate yourself from the church or whatever, is a pretty good way to get yourself on an arrogant list. Don't be stupid. Yeah. You have no idea. Just don't be dumb. But here's the thing. Here's what I really wanted to talk about with this article today. The headline of this article is, uh, I want to read it verbatim to make sure I get it right. Zach Wilson's mom causes holy war meltdown by posting photo from four-star quarterback son's visit to Utah. Okay, meltdown. This is the problem with the internet. Like there were some idiots and and don't be idi- don't be idiotic, right? Don't be morons. But to call a few replies to a tweet a meltdown, man, that like symbolizes everything that is wrong with society and the internet right now. No, it's you I actually saw a TikTok about this the other day. It was someone saying like we can't everyone everything is so like people are not used to having real conversations that it's like social media and everything has trained us that it's like Everything is like someone says they disagree with you on something and it is 100% interpreted as like, you hate everything about me and you think I'm a horrible person. Right. It's It's like everything is just so amped up. And the irony of that coming from OutKick is something else that like that's Clay Travis's whole thing is that that Twitter is fake and doesn't represent the real world. But yet that represents the meltdown. Like, come on, wasn't a meltdown. Uh, People are dying to know my opinion, Garrett, on something. And it's up to us, really, to determine who's the idiot of the internet in this in this certain circumstance. You live in Arizona. You're not a jazz fan, but you hate jazz fans, generally speaking. And, and so this is kind of a story for you. There's Twitter beef drama amongst the jazz beat writers and the jazz fans. Because jazz beat writers, uh, they're a little soft, when they get criticized or when people disagree with their opinions, they like to get up on their, their high horse and talk down to people a little yes. bit. And, and there are fans that are, are they, they egg those people on, right? They, they look for that level of attention and they will call it out and want to be victim anytime and every time they get the opportunity to do so. Well, there was some beef between jazz beat writers and Twitter people. It kind of all blew up this last week because uh, jazz fans were, being, you know, the victims and the beat writers kind of clapped back and were like, Hey, don't be so soft. And ironically, they were being pretty soft themselves. Right. Who, who was the writer that clapped back? Well, there were a series of them. I think the uh, catalyst was Sarah Todd, who writes for the Deseret News, who's done a spectacular job on the jazz beat and jazz fans don't like her. She's pretty opinionated and she's pretty different like for, for this market of jazz fans, especially writing for the Deseret news where like, I've never heard her name in my life. Yeah, She's new. I think she came from uh, Philadelphia. So this is her first or Uh second year on the jazz beat. If I'm remembering right. Second year, I think. So she's new. She's a different voice. Uh, I I like her work candidly, Uh, but she, she got, I think she overreacted. Somebody was criticizing her and rather than just like scrolling down or scrolling up and being annoyed by it, but moving on, uh, she she called some people some names, and the internet you know did what the internet does, and they they latched onto that, and then started to tag her employer and say, "Is this who you really want representing the Deseret News?" And then other beat writers came to her defense, and then you know she didn't back down from her original take, and that's what happened. 
So the question that I have for you, because you've seen this today or this week, it was jazz beat writers and jazz fans, but pick a fan base. It's happened everywhere. When a beat writer, who's the idiot? Is it the beat writer that's trying to be a columnist on social media? Or is it the fan who doesn't understand that a beat writer's job is to cover the beat and on social media, they're just doing the same thing that everybody else does, right? They're, they're being a fan. And it's maybe that the problem, that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what a beat writer really is. So what was the specific take that got people riled up? Honestly, I don't remember. Okay. It was just so my some generic jazz take. fans is I li- okay. I lived in Utah for like a decade, right? Yeah. A third of my life. Almost. I, I did not really have an NBA team. Uh, I don't have, I mean, I guess I do now. I follow the Suns now because, uh, one of my best friends has season tickets and he invites me occasionally to go to games. So I don't have any, and I live here. So why not? So the jazz, I mean, it's fine. I didn't mind the jazz. Gordon Hayward was fun. And then there was the meltdown uh, when Gordon Hayward decided to go to Boston where people were like wishing ill on him. And then people cheering when he destroyed his ankle, like the first game of the next season saying, ha ha serves him right. And like how he screwed over the jazz, whatever. And then I got some people mad because who was the GM at the time was his Dennis Lindsay. Was that his yeah. time, name? Yeah. Yeah. I said, no, that's Dennis Lindsay's fault because he should have given him an early deadline because he said, well, Gordon took too long and it screwed us over. And it's like, well, that's the GM's fault. That's not Gordon's fault. Gordon took the amount of time, the maximum amount of time that was allotted to him. Okay. Then, so if you wanted to build around something else, you should have said, Hey, we need an answer. Otherwise we're going to move on. Like whatever. So, and he does not owe you anything, right? It's a professional athlete does not personally owe you anything, but the jazz, the problem with the jazz notices are dumb. Yeah. Like the problem with the jazz is that, okay, we know how obnoxious, like the vast majority of Utah fans are on Twitter. And then there's, a also, good amount of BYU fans on Twitter. A, good, a very good amount of BYU fans that are equally maybe, obnoxious. Like, maybe even a great amount. A great amount. Like probably Dr. Mo BYU. He's one of those guys. I don't know if he's on Twitter, but he probably is. And he's probably. one of those. If he, but it's like you take the worst parts of Utah and BYU fans and put them together cheering for the same team that perennially sucks and they are miserable. Yeah, and it's it is depressing. Combo. And then it's also because like I follow mostly BYU people that it's like the people who live tweet jazz games where it's like, okay, you're live tweeting 82 games a year of a team I don't care about. Well, like it gets annoying. So it's like, so that's annoying. But the the meltdown, it's just like the worst parts of BYU Twitter and Utah Twitter come together <laughs> to form Jazz Twitter, and it's awful. Like, yeah, and if you don't think that there's a bad reputation, especially about Utah Twitter, it's like, what fan base specifically do national college football writers make fun of more? Than Utah Twitter. When you say anything about Utah, when they're like, oh, your mentions are going to be blowing up, like talking to each other, saying their fans on Twitter are so annoying. So it's yeah, like, B- there's too much overlap there. I can't and, associate with that. And, and there's a lot of BYU fans that are, are in that oh, same boat. Yes. And, and, and it's a problem. And so that, so you know, that is it, why it, I'm determining. Yeah. And, and determining who the internet idiot is, it's the jazz fans, I think, in this case. Uh, However, also, I'm ready. This Sarah Todd lady, she yeah. is also an idiot for different reasons because yes, a beat writer can like have opinions and be a fan, but also as a beat writer, 
you are supposed to basically be a populist, right? Like you are trying to appease fans to keep them happy. You want to tell the fans exactly what they want to hear. So they keep coming to your website. You are a beat writer. You are not an investigative journalist uncovering a major issue. Well, and that right there is, is exactly what I was going to say. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of what a beat writer is. Right. And I get that a lot of beat writers now are wanting to like, do more into long form things like you want to do more about like it's and, more than just a game type thing. and then some of them to have more. to right. some of them and are required to because the newspapers cut in staff and so you're a beat writer slash columnist slash whatever right. but when you're putting those columns in a free form on twitter rather than directing traffic to your website you're not doing yourself or your network any favors at all you're just talking into the void and inviting the criticism to come upon yourself Beat writers, if the, if you're in, in the, the the jazz, most NBA teams, even here in, in the small Utah market, you still have a beat writer and you have a columnist that are covering the teams for most of these media outlets. If you're the beat writer, your job is to cover press conferences, cover sound, get interviews, and if there's trade details and things like that, then great, you fish those out. But your job is pretty boring. It's pretty black and white that you are just the voice of the information. You don't yeah. really get to have an opinion. You're just relaying information. If you're a columnist, then great. You get to have all the opinions in the world. But what happens is I think beat writers, in an effort to build their career, which I totally understand, they try to be columnists online and they will fight for their opinions and they will take the information that, that they know. Beat writers know more than most people will ever dream of knowing. They know more than most insiders know, but they just don't provide everything and put it all out there. But they take those opinions and they try to represent themselves as the authority of a team. And I think that that's where beat writers get into trouble. But where fans get into trouble is that they think that the beat writer is an authority of that team. If you just treat those beat writers like another fan, they're just another fan. You know what I mean? There's a misunderstanding of what a beat writer really is supposed to do. Yeah, I'm trying to uncover in real time here at the bottom of this. And it's like, I see some dude, it's like at headband Royce and he like yeah. treated as like jazz reporters lately. And there's a picture of Ben Anderson and this Sarah, what's her face. And then I don't know, recognize the third guy. And then he treated like Charmin and then he was like, and then they blocked him. And then he tweeted about that. They blocked him. And then Sarah Todd replied to him and said, Oh, we actually just did that because you're a bitch. So that is what she said to him. So she is an idiot in this situation because she's a bad uh, employee in this situation. Cause don't you're a bad employee because customer. right. It don't yell at your customer. I can appreciate you standing up for yourself because this headband Royce is a moron, but like when you're doing it yeah. in a professional oh, setting, and then she you said, you funny. unblocked me to curse me out for criticizing you. These are the Utah jazz beat writers. And then she said, LOL, that's not how Twitter works. I can look at your tweets and respond to you and you're still blocked. And then some BYU fan at Jansen boy, three Oh one said, I wish I was joking, but my journalism professor used you as an example as a, of a bad journalist and he wasn't wrong. So that is, um, so there's a lot going on here, but yeah, she is definitely an idiot here as well because one, it's like, that's not her personal account. It's like, that is her professional NBA coverage account. Yeah. So it's like when she tweets from that, she's representing herself as a writer. She's representing the desert news. It doesn't matter that you put thoughts and opinion. Some of my opinions, no retweets is not an endorsement. Like yeah, whatever stupid the stupid thing. thing. I don't know who started but, that, but they should be burned with dumb. fire. So like it's, yeah, 
everyone involved with this is stupid because everybody outside of the actual physical entity of the jazz itself yeah. is dumb. Yeah. Outside I of agree. the players, the coach, the yeah, I don't everybody. Even know the jazz coaches didn't they fire Quinn Snyder? They did. So like, they did. I don't even know who the coach is now. Yeah, I, and, it, it's Danny Will Ainge. Hardy, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like outside of the players, Will Hardy and and Ryan Smith, everyone on the jazz is stupid. Yeah, related to the jazz is dumb. Fair enough. And their panties are constantly wadded. Yikes! So next segment we have: if we ran the show, because we run our own show, right? And we run and our we've own. Proven show. we can run a show. We can run a show. So now yeah. we're going to occasionally talk about things where if we were in charge yeah. of something else, what would we do? So this is spitballing from something that was born a couple hours ago on the Discord. I don't know if you read this conversation. Maybe you did, didn't. maybe you didn't. I saw glimpses and then okay. kind of glossed over. So thing, something that can make the Big 12 different, innovative, fun as hell for fans. That should be the 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 mat the like your mark said he wanted to be innovative he wants to be his hell for fans that he should wants be to the get good younger model. then that's what you should do yeah yes okay i'm so, ready there's a mini like a conference basketball tournament type weekend for football i hate it no dude this is oh, awesome. okay it. there's 12 teams okay <laughs> in the league you pick you have two locations there's six teams in each location. Mm-mm. It's going to be a football weekend with a game on Friday night and no. a double header on Saturday. No, we're pass. going to Vegas for two days, pass. get three football games. When they announce the conference schedule, you know who is in your pot of six for your like mega weekend. I hate it more, but you don't know who you are playing no. until Sunday. They announce this... and do a selection show Mm-mm. to find out like, so you know, okay, I'm going to travel to this event because it's going to be this fun thing where I get to watch three football games in two days. No, but we, and I know BYU will be there. We don't know who we're playing. We don't know which day we're playing, but we're going to go for a I fun weekend. It. Hate this idea. I love this idea. Like two thousand percent. Sign me up. If a team did that in Vegas, I would. I would go every we, single year. We saw with that BYU Coastal Carolina game what a team looks like when they only have a few days to prepare. Well, no, this is like they're going to have a week, just no. like everything. Okay, no. fine. Okay, so no. I guess you're no, 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 because analysts are ahead of schedule. Okay, so you announce it two weeks before. But it's like what's happening the second weekend in October. Everyone like the fun conference matchups are over because week one you have your big your big non conference games and everyone plays and, their FCS and it game. It takes away a game. home game. If you're doing this no. with conference teams, somebody like you're losing home games. No, you just schedule more G five teams for your home games. You just I all of your on conferences at home. No, I I hate this. I hate this plan. I hate anything that takes college football aside from like bowls and championships. And even that I, I will hear an argument to the contrary, but anything that takes college football outside of the college football environment of your on-campus stadium with student sections, with marching bands, with everything that comes with being on campus and having a home game and fighting on the road when there's 80,000 screaming fans that hate you, anything that takes away from that, I hate. Okay. Fair enough. Because in in basketball, you can do that because in basketball, you're talking 35 games after the NCAA tournament. You can get away with one or two, but you can't do that in football where you only have 12 games. You only have six opportunities to create a home environment. And you want that home environment with your conference. 
Right. I, I, I don't like it. So I don't what like if it at all. We did for the conference championship game. What if you did like a second place game on Friday night? I mean, and I don't hate a, that. a bit of week. Like so, a, you get a, a bigger like you. It's an additional game, so you're adding TV revenue, mm-hmm. or you partner with like the American or Conference USA and mm-hmm. have them play because Conference USA already plays their championship game on a Friday on that Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American plays on Saturday, um, but that Friday night, Conference USA is already playing. They host it. It's like that the top seed hosted. So it was at the Alamo Dome and UTS because UTSA won back to back titles this year. Uh, you know, imagine if in Dallas, you know, you've got conference, you know, I guess they're in the American now. It's like you have the American conference championship on Friday night and you have the big 12 championship on Saturday and you can sell up tickets, sell them for more. You get, you know, the teams have their allotments and it is a, like a double, uh, a back to back. So we've talked a little bit sort of about this. I like that idea, but I'm going to variate off of that just a little bit. And yeah, so we're in the boardroom. This is where the idea yeah, is. Yeah, this is this is where I think that you could really like innovate off of that idea. Okay, back to basketball. You have the NCAA tournament, that's where everybody wants to be, right? If you don't right. make the field of 65 or whatever however many teams there are now, 68, then going to soon to be 96. Yeah, then then you're in the NIT or the CBI or whatever some of those other ones are. Sometimes you reject those invitations. They're clearly not as important, but it's opportunities to play additional basketball for teams. It's TV content for the providers and fans still watch their team play in the NIT, even if it isn't as exciting as the NCAA tournament. Well, we're about to get a 12 team football playoff. It's bigger. That's the goal. What if the P5 conferences or the Big 12 aligns with the Pac 12, the ACC, whatever, like one or two of the other conferences and says, hey, any of our teams who don't go to the big dance, Let's have the full NIT. Yeah. I mean, the Bulls need, will need teams. So you can still slot them into other teams. So, and this is where you test things like new rules, things like that. It's outside of the governance, really, of the NCAA. So, yes, you you give them more. The players get to play more. You can do more with NIL stuff because then you can market them at at those special events. So the players can get paid to be there. I like where this is going. I like it a lot. Obviously, um, some details to iron out, but I, I think that that is something that would provide intrigue, if nothing else, for the rest of the college football world. And let's not forget, back before the NCAA tournament became the TV spectacle that it was and it expanded and grew into 68 teams, the NIT was important too. It right. was. I mean, some will say it was more important, and I don't know. I wasn't. I'm not that depending old. on the era. Depending on the era, yeah, depending on the era. But there was a time when both were simultaneously pretty important. I mean, I think the NCAA tournament was always really better. Realistically, I think it's revisionist history to say that it wasn't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really care if I'm wrong. I'm going to say that, and if if you can prove me wrong, then great. But they both mattered to some extent, and I think with only 12 teams in the playoff. You can take the next 24 teams and have a secondary playoff and it will still be pretty entertaining and still mean something more than the New Mexico Bowl. And it will it would take those bowl games that are meaningless but still pull good numbers yeah. and have them become something more. And right? that's and realistically it, it, it what you're competing, more right? And so in this plan, you're not competing against the college football playoff with 12 teams. You're competing with the current bowl structure outside of the playoffs. And the secondary tournament, I think, is better than that bowl structure. Yeah. 
So there we go. I, think I was so. in charge. I like that. Um, you know, and how would you, okay. How would you feel about a, you know, if the, you were going to do kind of like a, a conference championship weekend pairing up with another conference, uh, how would you feel about, I don't know what you might call this, like a collective or a group or maybe like an alliance. Is that the mm. word? Mm-hmm. Uh, of sorts uh, mm-hmm. i've heard that term thrown around i don't know what it means anymore because nobody does but if say it was like hey you know we're gonna partner with the american because conference usa is gonna be even more god-awful than they already are with their six teams that are leaving to the american this year and the other three that went to the Sun Belt. um if we said like the american where because even after i mean okay the american's gonna lose houston they're gonna lose Cincinnati, but it's like even after uh, you know, even after that, there's still going to be a decent, you know, basketball conference. Mm-hmm. What would you think about, um, what would you think about taking and making like an all sports kind of like scheduling agreement for non-conference games? So it's like, we're going to do the basketball thing or we're going to do the football thing where it's like they play there on Friday night as the warm up to our championship game on Saturday. We're going to play, you know, cause there was like the big 12 sec showdown or whatever they called it. It's like, we're going to do something like that in early season basketball game where it's like, and it'll be like a two for one, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we'll travel to your school once or three for one, but we know you need us more than we need you. And then help like round out, just kind of formalize. Cause I feel like, you know, like in baseball and stuff like, you know, we're playing, I looked at the baseball schedule cause to see if they're playing GCU or ASU or U of A they're like, they're, they're spring. Like we got to get away from the snow to start. They're playing Louisiana tech. Why the right. hell are we playing Louisiana tech? Right. We don't need to, we don't need to be traveling to Guston, Louisiana. I've been there. Well, it sucks. Yeah. And so it's all, it's like, let's do, you know, it's like, you're already in a, a lot of the Olympic sports kind of scheduling those things anyway. So why don't you like formalize it a little bit, then you can kind of wrap something around it. I like it. It's more to market than just like, because if you looked, I bet you big 12 teams, if I looked at their basketball schedule, yeah, all of them will have played at least one school from the American in their basketball schedule. I like the idea, but in a much more real sense, I don't care about non-football sports. And that's the funny thing about this. Like we want to innovate, like nobody cares about anything except for what happens on Saturdays in the fall. And so you're, 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 no matter what you're doing, you're scraping at the edges. You are, man. I mean, you are swinging at the clouds and just hoping it rains. Yeah. I made that. Um, I don't know if that works. I don't think, I mean, don't say why it doesn't. So we do have 45 minutes into this and there is BYU news. We can talk about it. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to look at uh, how who the American play or the Big Twelve plays most right. in a non-conference game because that's all the top that. of my head. I, I'm going to hit some some really just like bullet points of the BYU news. Paul Paul Miley is a Cougar, uh, former University of Utah center. He has been at Utah for five years, and he started every game last year. Every game that he was healthy, I think he started 12 games in total has played something like 29 or 30 games in his career, and he's now moving down from Utah to BYU for his last year of eligibility. Uh, what does this mean for the offensive line? BYU loses Clark Barrington. They lose Joe Tukuafu. They lose uh, Harris Lachance. They've lost Campbell Barrington. I mean, they, they lose a good chunk of their offensive line. 
They don't lose left tackle. Kings, well, they, they do. They lose Billy Freeland, but right tackle Kingsley Suamataya is going to move over and play left tackle. Uh, but that doesn't really matter for Paul Miley because he's an interior guy for the most part. Although, Garrett, he has played all five positions at Utah. He well, can. I, thought, I, I was told he was a rotational piece after well, starting 12 games last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. We're not, I don't want to get into that. I mean, the guy's plenty good. He's going to he's gonna start. He would have started at Utah. He's going to start at BYU. He's plenty good. The one spot along the offensive line that seemingly BYU has, has filled is the center position. Connor Pay is coming back. Connor Play played great. Connor Pay graded out higher than Paul Miley in just about every category last year. So does Paul Miley come and play center? I think yes. Not because... Paul Miley is better than Pay at the center position, but I think that Pay is better at the guard position than Miley is. And for that mm. reason, I think that Miley or I think that Miley slides in at center and they move Pay over into one of the guard spots. Pay is he's built like a guard. He's 6'5, he's 315. He he doesn't have that center build, right? Paul Miley's 6'2. Uh I think he's listed at three, barely like 304. He's 6'2". Yeah, he's 6'2". He's a shorter dude, and I think center suits him. Well, I think that – well, I think Connor Pay is maybe a better center than Paul Miley. I think that – I think Miley is It doesn't matter who's the better center and who's the better guard. It's the combination. It's the matter of the two. And I think that a comparable – it's like Joe Tukawafu last year, right? Joe Tukawafu could have played any of the interior spots. He really just kind of slid in wherever the coaches thought he was going to be best. And they slid him in at center at one point against Notre Dame and against a couple other games in the year. And it didn't work out. Pay was clearly better. But but Joe Tukuafu had the versatility to do just about whatever he needed to do. I think Miley is going to be in that same boat, that he gives BYU the option to be flexible. Now, whether they choose to be flexible with Miley or they choose to be flexible with Pay. They can be more flexible next year now that Paul Miley is in the fold. It's a big win. It's a big addition for BYU. I like it a lot. The he can play, and it doesn't matter that his I mean you're basically getting another he's graded slightly more higher, highly, but it's like you're getting another Joe Tukawafu, right? Yeah. And it's like so there's that's what you're getting, but with more starting screen, it's like and what I don't get is Utah fans are saying like, well, he was going to be an insurance piece. Like you don't just bench a dude who started like 18 straight games for you. No. And started back to back Rose bowls for you. Like if everyone that was nipping at his heels was nipping, you would have started to cut his minutes down the stretch. And that's not to say that they weren't nipping at his heels, but they weren't nipping at the front of his toes. They were nipping at his heels and they would have continued to nip at his heels. And maybe they beat him out but he would have been the starter until he wasn't. And that's just, that's how football works, right? I mean, he would have had to get unequivocally beaten out. That isn't happening in January when they just ended their season 15 days ago. Yeah. So there's that. Eddie Heckard, cornerback out of Weber State that was in the transfer portal that we've all kind of had earmarked as going to be a Cougar. I don't think he's going to be a Cougar anymore. I think he's going to take his talents to the NFL. Best of luck. Hope he makes it. Sucks he's not at BYU. Best of luck. I hope he makes it. I I wanted him. 
badly, which is just crazy because like a dec- you're declaring as an early, like as a junior from an FCS school. It does He's, not happen often. He, he redshirted and he had a COVID year, so I he was a junior, uh, but he's like a but he was junior. he was a co- okay yeah it was something weird. Coaches are out and about. The there's been a flurry of offers. Uh, the coaches were all traveled collectively to Hawaii for the funeral of Sione Vecoso. And he, they were, so they were at the service. I think, I believe I saw that Kalani spoke at the service. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, while they were there, they it seemed like uh, Jay Hill and Fessy stayed behind and they, they made the visits around Hawaii. Uh, so they made out a couple offers or most of their time, you know, spent on, there was a whole discussion uh, on the, someone from people familiar with the state of Hawaii. I didn't realize that there's like on Kauai, which I mean, it's small, right? You know, is that there's only five high schools. So it's like yeah, everybody who, yeah, it was like anyone who's good, they move and live with a family member to go play on Oahu or like maybe, you know, there's a couple of decent guys from Maui, but it's pretty much everybody comes from Oahu and, or they like go live in Utah or California to go play better competition. Yeah, that Sky Ridge you know? to Hawaii pipeline is strong. It's, dude, it's as big as what the Timview one has been forever. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so, dude, so this the, is funny. Timview, when they so when they had the state games at Rice Eccles Stadium, when Timview posts their like, I don't know, like their graphic of like, hey, tune into KSLsports.com, they put the time in Hawaii time because more people <laughs> are gonna be watching Timview in Hawaii than there will be in Provo. Oh, oh that's wild. Yeah, it's not funny. surprising at all because it was funny. like everyone it's like there's so many kids where it's like oh prepped their junior year at kahuku and then played their senior year at whole at timpview yeah timpview orem sky ridge i mean it's yeah it, the only thing i'll say I, I don't i think it's great it's great for the sport they're great teams what sucks about that is so like lehigh lehigh is uh they they are all mostly from lehigh i'm sure they recruit like everybody else does but for the most part Lehigh is a community. When Lehigh showed up to the state games, man, they filled up an entire sideline of Rice Eccles Stadium, almost up to the top. And right. it was fun to be there. But then you had Timpu and Orem that was, you know, same classification, both 5A schools, but so much of their talent comes from out of state. Dude, the environment was dead. Like there was nobody in the stands. It's a lot more transactional. Yeah. And so you miss some of that like cool atmosphere that high school football brings, but you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's, it is, they're out about, they're out and about. I, they're I've recruiting. Seen, there's been a bunch of offers, like, you know, a couple of like 14 year olds, like they're hitting the, the early, the early bird. Right. Specials. So the eighth Ke- graders, the ninth graders. Kelly Papinga's in Arizona. Uh, I know that he's at, uh in in your hometown actually he's out there at ala i think today he was there this afternoon i think he's going back there tonight from what i hear visiting uh, visiting max and yeah, uh, max, and ty. max and ty and see what's going on there um when these coaches are out i've seen lots of byu fans that are like oh it's refreshing to see these coaches out hitting the recruiting trail hard look i i hated the way that ed lamb and elias tuyaki preston i i hated the way that they recruited but they did this too like this isn't above and beyond, right? This is this is recruiting. This is being a college coach. It is every bit as like it's a bullet line on the job description the same way that showing up for spring ball is. I mean, this is not crazy stuff. It's good. It needs to happen. BYU needs to form these relationships, check in on these these kids and, and get their eyes on talent. But I do think that it's a little over the top 
that I've seen from BYU fans that have been like, it's so great to see these coaches out there. Like, well, okay. It's the first week of the evaluation period. Like even at BYU's worst, they were out during the first week of the evaluation period. So let's, let's calm down. I, I think we're okay here without heaping praise for doing what you were hired to do. As the the bare minimum. Yeah. And, and it's and not it's to say good. they're not doing it well, but it is just like part of the job. So let's let's not get carried away yet. Yeah. Uh I mean it's it is good to see that they're going out. And a lot of what you talked about before, especially in Utah, right, is that you've had lots of high school coaches in Utah reaching out to you that like it is the it's not the campus visits and mm-hmm. so much. It's like it's the active, just like non recruiting communication. Yeah. Like if you want a coach to steer a kid to your program, it's like you got to, you know, ask them how their family's doing, see what they're, you know, talk to them about things, just like text them randomly out of the blue in May, be like, Hey, how's, how are you guys looking this year? Like how did spring ball go? Whatever beyond the like, Oh, I'm going to come because I saw this kid's film and I want you to introduce me to him. Right. Like yep. you, you got you to move, you have to build that rapport and that relationship. Right. The same way you do any relationship. Right. I mean, my ideal best friend, I don't see very often. Like I'm kind of a weird well, I mean, We've guy. only met in person one time. So <laughs> it's been more than once, but not no. any. No. no. Just the, the one. The only time we have ever met in person was when you <laughs> took me to that awful Mexican restaurant huh. in Bountiful. Well, what do you know? With, with with your dad. It was me, you, and Randy. Yeah. How, how bizarre. And, and then the other time was like Vegas. You got COVID. And then yeah, that sucked. there was that like your suck. sister or Jessica, your wife's sister got sick. Yeah, Another time when we we're going to record things. in person, you weren't able to come this weekend for our fundraiser. So that's every time it was the, the heavens have been keeping us, a, you know, it's a sign from God that we shouldn't be together. How strange. How strange. Well, okay. But yeah, you got to form those relationships. Uh, the last thing really that we have on our BYU news this week, basketball still exists. They lost to Gonzaga. That was sad. And they beat, who did they play after that? Pepperdine? I don't yeah. know. I've lost so much. Like I am so pumped up. Even if BYU goes, you know, reverse undefeated in the Big Twelve Conference, I'm just excited to play schools that I know who they are. And I, I say that respectfully, right? Like, but I don't care. I don't care if Santa Clara is a good team this year. It doesn't make it doesn't move the needle for me. I couldn't care less. It's- like when BYU or anybody, right? Uh, Loyola Chicago like that's awesome that they get to be a good team and they go on these runs in the tournament and the old lady you care about that in the tournament not when you're playing them and twice I, a year and I only year. care about that in the context of like busting a bracket like I don't right. I don't care about Loyola Chicago you could replace Loyola Chicago with Butler with anybody St. Mary's with UMCB and I'm gonna cheer for him but I don't get excited about it in the regular season. I get excited about it when I'm being told that here's my bracket and we're breaking somebody's season, right? I yeah. loved UMCB or whoever they were beating Virginia because it ruined Virginia's season. And I loved seeing oh, and Virginia's it was the time a 16 team right. season number one. I loved seeing Virginia's season get ruined. I really didn't care at all about UMCB winning the game. And so it's just really hard for me to care. And I, I've come to that conclusion. Like basketball, I struggle. But basketball in the WCC, especially this year, now that we know it's over, 
man, I'm really struggling to get even moderately Dude, excited I, about like a game against Portland. I don't care. I don't care. And it's true because you're just like the the look ahead to next year is yeah. so much bigger than it was even it's with football a, because even football like okay we still played Notre Dame we still played right. Oregon right we still played had rivalry game against Boise State we still mm-hmm. got to play Baylor and that was a top twenty five matchup at the time mm-hmm. <laughs> knocked off a top ten team at home right <laughs> <laughs> finished six and seven but uh, and so it's like all of those things is like football there was more meat in the schedule than it's like. This year, it's like, okay, we got Gonzaga. Yeah. And then, because Gonzaga's Gonzaga. And then there's That's St. It. Mary's, who is 16. And I don't care about four. St. Mary's. And like, they might be great. That's the thing. It's like San Francisco. I don't know. Are they good this year? Robbie Robbie tries uh, to tell us that Santa Clara is good. But San Francisco care. is 12 and 9. Okay, and so they're not great. Pepperdine is 7 and 12. It's like... I don't yeah, care. Santa Clara is Even if Santa Clara was ranked, they could be a top 10 team. It's Santa Clara, and I don't care. I don't care. BYU yeah. lost to UVU this year. Do you know how long I cared about BYU losing to UVU? Like a blip of a second. It did it just didn't matter because it's I, I don't care. But when they play Texas Tech, I'm gonna be pumped. They may lose by 20. But that's something to look forward to, right? It's going to be fun to play against Houston at Houston. It's going to be fun to play at Kansas State. Even if BYU is 2-20, and 20, it'll be really fun if they could somehow pull off an upset at Kansas. You know? Right. Well, you don't get that in the WCC. You get the Gonzaga games. That's it. Nothing else matters no matter how good the team is. And I just don't care. Yeah. And it's... But it, next year it will. And that is what I really am excited about. Cause it is going to be fun. Like it is going to be exciting to actually have these games and like that, that means something into where it doesn't matter. Cause right now in the WCC, it's like, okay, if we lose, like you basically can't lose more than three conference games or you're done. Cause like well, you can, BYU could you run can, the table and they're not going to the tournament unless they win the WCC. Well, tournament. Cause yeah, if we, we ran well, yeah, so they could run the, t- I mean, if they ran the table in conference play, that would mean knocking off the Zags on the road and beating St. Mary's twice. It's not right? enough. And so it's like, that's not enough, but it probably puts them like, oh, they're maybe in the bubble if they finish like, sure. And then go, and then go and they play Gonzaga tight in the conference championship game in Vegas. It's like, so what that would put them at like 25 and seven or 24 and seven. It's like, Hey, you're on the bubble, but you like beat the Zags once, played them again, whatever. Okay, fine. But in every year that we've been in the league, it's like you got to, it's like three or fewer games to yeah. go to the conference. Like you got to, you probably either need to split with Gonzaga and sweep St. Mary's or get sweep by Gonzaga, like lose to the Zags and like split with St. Mary's. Like you, you cannot lose more than three times in right. conference play. Right. Otherwise you're done. And so with that, it's like, but now next year, it's like you can have a freaking losing record. Right. Yeah. Like what was the um, Big Twelve? Because what Iowa State went to the they make it to the Sweet Sixteen last year. I think so. Yeah. So they made it to the Sweet Sixteen last year, but even in conference play, dude, they went seven and eleven in conference yeah, like, play. That's what's fun is even when you're bad, that the games will still mean something. 
And they just don't in the WCC, no matter how good the team is. So I'm excited for that. I don't know who BYU plays. If it happens to be on, I watch it. But like, that's it. I don't care. I just don't care. And it's sad that I don't care. I cared so much when Jimmer was here, but I don't care anymore. I cared when TJ Hawes was here, but I don't care anymore. And so you cared. So who was it? So TJ Hawes. I mean, that was, I was something happening when we were poised to make a legitimate sweet 16 elite eight run when we were playing so damn good before COVID canceled the entire tournament. Yeah. That it was. And I remember then I remember where I was when I found out that the tournament was going to get canceled. I remember sitting where I was. Mm -hmm. I remember who texted me telling me, Hey dude, tourney's done. Like there's no way, like they talked about a bubble, but the NCAA saying no. I was like, like I remember being legitimately bummed because that was the best team we had in years. And it was like, they released the mock bracket and it was like, we're going to be a five seed. And it's like, dude, we were primed to like probably go to the sweet 16, maybe pull off an elite eight. It was like, that was the year that was it. Now we've, and now we've been rebuilding and it's hard too because you have so much more movement with basketball than you do with football where it's like the amount of roster churn because like, yeah. guys can declare early and it's like the amount of transfers like Seneca Knights on his like 75th school in five years. Like mm-hmm. all the, the amount of change, it, it is harder to like kind of gravitate because it's like it was TJ Haas senior year. He'd been starting. He was a fourth year starter. Yoli had been there forever. He came back. He had the snafu with the paperwork. It was like you wanted that <laughs> team to be great because they'd put in the time and a lot of it now it's like you don't I mean, get that. You don't. I don't I, get it. But you it's know, like, the, but we do have. It's like Richie Saunders is a freshman, or right. like Dallin Hall is a freshman. We know we're probably gonna have Colin Chandler back next year. Jake Wallins. It's like Kate. There's this core group that can build for a few years, and it's like with the stopgap pieces are kind of starting to filter out. Mm-hmm. That it's like maybe we can start to see this a little little bit more and kind of get it build up like this is the our team feeling. And, and you'll be able to have built-in benchmarks, right? Like Because the only benchmark in the West Coast Conference is Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Everything else, maybe, you know, San Francisco has a great year next year, but like the year after that, there's no staying power at any of these schools, right? There's Gonzaga and St. Mary's. And if you don't live up to that standard, you can't really tell if you're getting better or worse because there's a chasm between Gonzaga St. Mary's chasm. and the rest, you know, like there well, is, and it, well, no, a there's a, there is a chasm between Gonzaga and St. Mary's and then another well, yeah. one between yeah. St. Mary's and the rest. But in the big 12, BYU is going to be able to say like, okay, Hey, everybody's good. Maybe everybody's better than BYU. I don't know, but they're going to be able to say, look, okay, next year we got to be better than Cincinnati. And we, you'll be able to sort of predict what Cincinnati or West Virginia is like as a program. And that becomes the measuring stick. You're, you're not competing for the Big 12 championship, but you're better than you were a year ago. And you don't have those built-in check marks in the West Coast Conference. You have Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Those are the only check marks. Right. And BYU's never been better than Gonzaga. So you're not checking very many check marks. Well, and it's hard because you're like, you play to the level of your competition so much to where like it's hard when you're playing those crap teams every. And obviously you can do it because Gonzaga, like Mark Few, has that program running, but it's like they're also, they did not, Gonzaga did not become what they are. Yeah. Like we are going to look back at Gonzaga and our time in the WCC the same way that BYU fans look back at Jimmer's time in the Mountain West. 
Like we played at the you, peak. I will like, do we you played one at the better. Peak where it was like, you know, where it, like, you know, where San, that San Diego state game was a top 10 matchup where New Mexico with what's his yeah. face Alford Steve Alford was ranked every year. Like Utah made it to a sweet 16 in like 2006 or something like that. Right. Like it's, there were a lot of good teams and that was the peak of Mountain West basketball, and they have never come close to that since then. And uh-huh. even I remember in like 2014, 2015, people were like, WC sucks. I wish we were back in the Mountain West for basketball. It'd be so much more fun. And it's it like, it might no. be more fun, but it wouldn't be the same. It would not be the same. And it honestly wouldn't be that for like New Mexico hasn't, well, I guess they have been decent. Like when it, it's like the New Mexico, UNLV, San Diego State, BYU all peaked at the same time. You had yeah. half the league peaking. Yeah. At historical highs for their programs. And that is not my And it's like, and if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, it's like the bulk of the WCC has been, it's like been pretty much equal with the yeah. Mountain West the entire time. People are like, well, the Mountain West is so much better. And it's like, it's not they're the same. They don't matter. They don't matter. But they, we just have the history with them yeah. of like going back and forth. But the problem Which is, means is like, something, we, but yes, that's but all it's it like, and it's a, it's a lot easier to stomach losing to the San Diego state that is, has is the public school with the 30,000 student enrollment versus like Pepperdine, whatever college. Like I didn't even, I had not even heard of half the names in the WCC until I got home from my mission and looked at the basketball schedule. Dude, BYU has been in the, what now is it is 11 years in the WCC? Yes. As I, long as I we were in you, the mountain West. Okay. If you go Same. down and you quiz me, I bet you I cannot name the towns of half of the WCC. Okay. Then let's we can wrap up with this thing because this okay, is I'm ready because like I really don't think I can okay. do this. Um, <laughs> I gotta okay. like, think about this. Uh, okay, BYU. Okay, Provo. Got it. Gonzaga. And I know Spokanistan. Yeah, okay, Spokane, okay. Loyola Marymount, LMU. Oh, I have no idea. Uh, is that Southern California? Is that like San Diego? As they are in Los Angeles proper, actually. Oof. Loyola so has a pretty of... fun. Li- and yeah, um, Pacific University of the Pacific, I should say. Not a clue. Uh, I, there's so many coastal schools. I'm going to say that like Fresno. I have no idea. Mm, that's actually close because they are the one non-coastal California school. They are in Stockton. Pepperdine. Are they in Malibu? Yes. Oh, Beautiful okay, campus. Okay, so now one. we're at three and two. Uh, University of Portland. Portland. Get this one. Okay. Oh, St. Mary's College of California. Okay. I was thinking about St. Mary's because I didn't know. I thought that they were in Stockton, but you just told me that Pacific was in Stockton. So then that means the other name is Moraga that comes to my mind. Yes, that is Moraga. And Moraga is like... It is. If you would have asked me St. Mary's before uh, Saint, before Pacific, I would have definitely said Stockton for St. Mary's and then not had a clue where Pacific was. Okay. That's so good enough. So, so, um, and it's there in the East Bay and like over the hill from Oakland and there's only like 15,000 people live in Moraga. So mm-hmm. it is like okay. a tiny, you know, it's, it's like them being in Moraga is like if there was a D1 school that was in Woods Cross and they're like, ah. oh, we're not in Salt Lake, we're in Woods Cross. <laughs> okay, like, got it. <laughs> um, the, you know, just over behind that. Whatever yeah. Point. Okay. And then, we'll, okay, the last three are, are you better get these. San Diego. <laughs> okay. Yeah. San Diego. San Francisco. I'm saying Santa San Francisco, Claire. but is San Francisco like in a weird 
not really in San Francisco. No, it is like, it is, no, it is in like smack dab down. Well, not downtown, but it is in like the heart of San Francisco. Okay. So with the benefit of, I, I had four that the names are in the name outside of those four where I get credit because, you know, I got the given and the proof when we're doing geometry. Uh, what was I? 500. Mm, let's see. You got me while you write. Okay. And well, okay, doesn't so like, count either. Okay. So you got Gonzaga, you missed on Loyola, you missed on Pacific and then almost you missed got, St. Mary's and then almost missed St. Mary's, but then, uh, and then the rest. So you got Pepperdine Gonzaga yeah. and then mm-hmm. St. Almost. And so, and then it was like, but then Portland, San Diego, San Francisco, Santa Clara. And we've been 11 years Diego. removed from the mountain West. I could still tell you every town. I could tell you the directions of how to get there. I could tell you how to, where to eat. It's just different. The West Coast Conference has just been different. I don't just, know how to explain not, it. It's just different. The, the I can tell you that one thing I am excited for in the West Coast Conference, being out of the West Coast Conference, is that not playing in California multiple games a year in Northern California, we will not see the dude dressed up as Cosmo on TV. I don't know if you mm. listen to this show. Uh, is he a Northern California guy? I think so. Okay, and I don't because I've it's not a great Cosmo costume. It is not a great Cosmo costume. I appreciate the enthusiasm. I love the enthusiasm. I love the dedication to go get good seats at every possible game you can to go cheer on the Kooks. But it's not great. The the execution we got to tighten that up a little bit. We need to refocus and retool the wardrobe. Yeah, because you know the. The, the Cosmo is, it's not it. My, my no, guy, it's definitely uh the wish.com Cosmo and it's just not quite there for me. Yeah. And it's, we say this out of a place of love definitely. and concern. Definitely. It's not, it, it is, it is not personal. Like no. I said, we, I appreciate the enthusiasm. Absolutely. And we need more of the enthusiasm, like more. The, the rabid fanaticism, more fans that the rabid fanaticism, but that Cosmo costume kind of looks like Cosmo actually has rabies. Yeah, we got to put him away. Put him back in the closet. <laughs> put him down. Jeff, this has been a good episode. I'm excited about our continued uh, growth development. I should. Yep. Uh, you have a nice fancy background. I'm going to be getting mine up here soon as I reorganize here shortly and kind of re- move my house around. And I am excited about where we're going with dusty lit stitster Litster. the one problem with my background is i can't quite get the uh chain in the background i'd have to turn mm, just a little you bit need to move just to, move uh i've tried a, a lot of different setups and i i just can't quite do it i guess i could i could go like this but it feels sideways but like that chain mm, deserves some love you know that does deserve some love you could put it i could put it where it. the pen is. i don't know you can put it where the pendant is. You got to like move that. What is that golf thing above the, uh, Oh, that's the Happy Gilmore, my friend. That, uh, one yeah, can't so move. You... that one has to stay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's tough. That out. It's it is tough. tough. You just have too many great things, but you yeah. do have a little bit of white space between the pendant and the, in the rest of the picture. So well, you can stick in the corner of a wall. So it looks like more white space. Oh, than it is. it's the, it's a yeah. penny. Huh? Yeah. You could put the pendant, you could hang it in the corner and then it would look fine on you on Ooh, camera. There you go. Good idea. So Jeff, until next week, give him hell. Give him hell.